listening to Who Run the World, a podcast about female leadership in the workplace. I'm your host, Marilyn, and today I'm talking to Jessica Robinson, founder and CEO of Moxie Future. Now that's a cool name if I've ever heard one. Moxie Future is a platform for engaging and empowering women to think about their investments and financial decisions and how they can have a positive impact on environmental and social issues while they're at it. Jessica set up Moxie Future about a year ago after a career that expanded from London to New York to Beijing and now Dubai, where I got to meet her. Her career also includes stints working in British Parliament, consulting, as well as carbon finance. Really geeky stuff. I love it. We'll get to what that is actually in just a bit. Through Jessica's story, we got to explore what it's like working in sectors that are defined as boys clubs. We talk about stereotyping women, how women have to reshape their identities at various stages of their lives, how they have to conform to what leading in an organization defined by male leadership looks like. It was a really special and insightful conversation. So without further ado, here you go. Jessica Robinson, take it away. So my parents were working class northerners. My father was an engineer. We moved overseas when my sister was born. We've spent some years in South Africa. Moved back to the UK just outside of London, about half an hour outside of London. In Guildford, which is where I went to school. And I had a very traditional British middle class upbringing, I think. You went to uni? The University of Manchester and studied politics uh -huh. and economics. I then went to the London School of Economics and did a master's in political theory. So did you want to be a politician growing up? Yes. So my first job out of university was working for a member of parliament. What did you do? Parliamentary researchers. So I did everything that was Westminster-based. So parliamentary questions, writing his speeches, writing his press releases. I didn't do anything to do with the constituency. I did all the sort of political stuff, which was really cool. What made you go in that direction? Was it having travelled and lived in different um, places? Lots of things. I think I was very much raised to have a political voice and that democracy and making change happen was integral to who we should be as people, right? I say the same things to my kids. If you've got a problem with something, you have to make change happen. And you make change happen for the benefit of the majority, not just for what you need. I think also there's sort of my parents living overseas, having very sort of socialist principles about equality and a fairer society. It just was really drummed into me from a very young age. And then I decided that I just love traveling and I felt like I wanted to live all over the world. But in politics you're either certainly in the UK it's either you've got to stay in the UK or you go to Brussels for the European Union neither of those appealed to me so I'd moved into consulting so I worked in a couple of different fields in consulting one in public affairs mm -hmm. using my political skills and then I moved into management consulting which is when I started working in financial services so I would have been in my early 20s. Jessica has had quite the career moving countries switching industries I was particularly interested in finding out more about what it was like working in government and finance in the 90s. I mean, maybe I have recency bias, but it felt to me, and she kind of confirmed that those were different times, very different times. She said back then, women didn't speak up against the obstacles they faced because while they were told that they could have everything, they weren't told how to grab everything. Jessica explains more. Take a listen. I mean, the world is so different today. It's funny, I was having dinner with some of my best girlfriends that I've known since I was 11. 
we're that sort of unusual generation where we were raised to believe we could have everything as women because our mothers had not. You know, my mum left school when she was very young. She didn't have the opportunities to be educated like I had. And yet we weren't really provided with the resources and skills to actually know what to do with that. So there we are all sort of forging our lives and being very strong feminists. But at the same time, we're still conflicted because we grew up and we built our careers in a very male-dominated way, in a way that my daughters, my children won't. So the political world 20 years ago, yeah, it was rife with... um, sexism oh it's just awful but you kind of put up with it because you thought that was the way you had to accept it if you were going to be successful and then when I moved into consulting I was one of very few women on the consulting teams and to get on the good project it was about socializing going out with the boys for beers and I mean I just cringe when I think about it we used to go to strip clubs because that was what you did and if you didn't do it you weren't part of the team the gang but nobody taught me to say no. 20 years ago, everyone was like, well, these are the rules of the game and this is what you've got to fit around. And if you want to be successful, you have to play within these rules. Whereas today... I think it's completely different. You're making me think of something that happened less than a week ago. I was in Paris meeting potential technology providers and service providers for the company where I am. And I met this service provider and he had lived in Lebanon. You know, nice guy. I had no reason to suspect what he was going to say next. And then at some point he's like telling me about where he lived and where he went out and what he did and whatever. And then he's like, I serviced the Middle East. All of my customers would come to Lebanon, which is where we would close deals. And I would take them to Ma'amiltain, which is kind of our red light district and that's how you close the deal and I'm looking at this guy and I'm like seriously forget how liberal I am or what I think about any of these things like I'm a Lebanese living in Dubai and you're saying this to me like it's okay and you have no measure of the fact that you're just about to lose a deal but at least as you say now I have the power to say you know what I don't want to work with you thank you goodbye I remember, so we were working, doing this big project for a big trading house in the city of London. And the guy, he'd set up the company, obviously he was a multimillionaire. And we were doing this big governance review, so working at a really senior level. And he said, look, I'm going to take you across the trading floor. And he turned around to me and he said, before I open this door, Jessica, I just want you to know it's like throwing raw meat out at the lions. And I, you know, in my early 20s, I was like, oh my goodness. And he did. He opened the door and everybody went silent. Because there I was walking across a room full of men it was just horrific but at the time it was like well you just put up with this I mean a he was the client so you just you sort of smile and then b your bosses think that's the norm as well at the time you just accept it because you're trying really hard to build your career and be successful and you just think that's what you have to do I've been through situations like that I remember one of our lawyers in my previous company he would make sure that even though I wasn't the only one working on the project that somehow he would change times because I was the most junior person that only the most junior person would show up because I couldn't say no. And uh, you don't know this story. Rhea's looking at me like, <laughs> I've never told you this story. But, um, and he would always like just be really intimidating. And then until one day he was like, you know, I really like the texture of your skin. And I was like, okay. Up until now, like I had no reason to tell you to buzz off, but yeah. here I am. Thank you. Goodbye. You're never seeing my face again. But I could have said no earlier. I couldn't until it was so obvious that I had a justification for my boss. I think that's what's been interesting over the last couple of years when you look at the Me Too campaign is that when you connect with other women and you know that they've experienced similar things, you provide each other with a sort of moral support. The reality that women know they can pull together, I think that's what's really powerful that's come out of this actually.
Yeah, we often talk about this, like the sisterhood effect, because it feels like that's relevant in so many contexts. When we started this podcast, we were doing a bit of research about this, and there's a lot of data also to show that women who have women friends when they're starting their entrepreneurial journey supporting them are more likely to create their company there's a lot of actual data that correlates with sisterhoods and women being able to push back or to build something or to feel more powerful I certainly think that I see the shift over years the one thing I would say that sometimes disappoints me is not not every woman get it I've spoken at a couple of high profile women's events a couple of them where I've spoken but then I've also moderated panels and I've spent a long time curating an intelligent discussion and some of the women very senior women have been incredibly rude it's almost like they feel they're so senior that they can't what engage with other women I don't know and it really has disappointed me and I think financial services the sector I deal with I wonder maybe for women that are at the top of the game now maybe they've become so socialized that they think that's how they have to play Mm, exactly and unaware of the impact that behavior has on the people around them I just hope that I never lose that sense of grace and compassion and empathy for other people and it's really struck me this year and and yeah and really disappointed me actually maybe you can change your mind we have really amazing women on the show I do say it's a small number because the majority of the whole concept of sisterhood I think is very strong let's go back you worked uh, in consulting in the UK also in the US then I moved to New York was it different was it the same well I just wanted to go adventuring I wanted to travel the world I, I never wanted to sit still So I moved to New York. I remember sort of turning up in New York with two suitcases. I didn't know anybody. It was fantastic. It was just like the most liberating, exciting opportunity. I got a great little walk-up apartment in the West Village and met some phenomenal people. It was just wonderful. I mean, it's what I think ideal life for someone in their mid to late 20s, traveling around the world, working on consulting projects and living in New York. And it was sort of the first stop in terms of traveling. So after New York, you went to China? Yes, I went to Beijing, so that was pre-Olympics, about 2006. Well, I had my daughter and then I had my other daughter very close together, they're only a year apart. So I then found myself in Beijing, two young babies. I'd left consulting and I was always intending to get back to work. I was always going to be a working mother. But it was very difficult because China was opening up, but really they, they didn't really want to take on anyone that wasn't Chinese unless you were bringing like 30 years of experience. And it was a very difficult period for me because I was coming to terms with the fact that I had a career and I had had a career a very very successful career I was hugely ambitious I suddenly had these children I was in a completely different culture and different society away from my family and I couldn't find a job you know I just wasn't getting a look in because I wasn't Chinese and I remember in the sort of social circles everyone sort of treated me as oh you're the lovely lovely mother and because they hadn't known me working before and I found it very difficult my identity actually and then the jobs that I was getting offered were HR related I had no experience in HR and yet you were being typecast and I literally was out of the job market for maybe a year year and a half I had global experience, I had multiple qualifications, and I just was getting offered these roles that just weren't appropriate, just because I think I was a woman, you know? So that's when I did my second master's degree, and I thought, well, this is a sign, this is an opportunity to rethink what I really want to achieve, and I've always been purpose-driven in terms of my career, and I thought, well, let's apply my economics to the environmental crisis that we're facing, and and I did that master's, and then I ended up co-running a carbon finance company. 
After receiving her second master's from SOAS, Jessica and her family moved to Hong Kong, where she says she felt it was a much easier place for her to live as a woman. While she was there, she helped run a think tank on sustainable finance. In this job, she was able to develop carbon markets in Europe and Asia, which basically meant she was working on developing projects which gave incentives to other companies when they reduced their carbon emission. This was the beginning of Jessica bringing her financial background and her social and environmental interests together. She learned about environmental finance and transferred her financial skills to projects where she felt she could generate impact. It was a big journey for Jessica to get through the career slump and the identity crisis to get to where she wanted to be in Hong Kong. I asked her how she got through it all. I think I have more questions actually about your time in Beijing because mm. when I look at sort of let's say the narrative arc of your story there's this really difficult valley to get through which is in Beijing somehow mm. like as you said you had left a place that you were comfortable in whether mm. it was New York or the UK like mm. where you understood the culture and could make sense of everything and yeah. things seemed fair relatively and then Beijing was hard because well you were a mother yeah. you were defined as a wife you lost part of your identity from being someone who had contributed and done meaningful things yeah. in politics and in consulting in different places how did you climb back out of there that must have been like a really difficult moment in terms of yeah. deciding what your contribution is it's a really actually really interesting question because i don't think i finished climbing out of there it was really hard It was actually much harder than I've probably told anybody. You know, I worked really hard. I did. I worked seven days a week. It was just relentless. And all the time, those questions in my head being, why can't I get back into work? Why am I not good enough? You do the external process, which is working really hard to rebuild your profile, your reputation, your credentials. And then the internal process, which is working really hard to remember that you are good at what you do and you are smart and you have a contribution to make. For all I've achieved subsequently, I still have this deep-seated insecurity about being labeled something that I didn't think I was. And I think a lot of women do face this because on the one hand, being raised to be so independent and, and to be a strong woman, and then on the other hand, to be kind of insecure because you're fearful of being labeled the wife, the mother, That's why I'm saying I think my generation of women, I think we face challenges which we still haven't grappled with. Again, this is quite a, a difficult issue. We might not sort of really appreciate yet, but as a woman, as you get older, because of what, the way we're surrounded, there's so much focus put on women's value being young. And as you become older as a woman... It's a strange process. It really is. And I'm only just starting to, to get my head around it. And I've got a lot of female friends who are older. And watching them, and I remember five years ago, not really understanding what they're going through. And now I'm starting to get it. Because we market, we advertise, we, we throw images at women all the time that youth and beauty is everything. And actually, we need to shift that fundamentally. Well, hopefully my children's generation will have got there. No, I, yeah, I hear you. I mean, I'm, I'm 32 now, Rhea's 27. And I remember being 27, it's not such a long time ago. I'm like, I understand why you don't see this, but I'm getting older. Yeah, I'm yeah. no longer the young overachiever in the room. I'm somewhere in the middle and I don't quite know how to deal with it. And I'm sure that as I go through life, what I have to deal with is going to shift yeah. massively. But I've lost forever the, yeah. she's the young, bright one. And actually what's interesting, I've noticed I've become a mentor to many people. 
that shift sort of happened without me realizing and then you realize younger people are looking to you for advice and and support like I really love spending time I don't know sharing some of the experience because we forget if we don't listen to other people's experience we won't grow and so and also I learn from those conversations as well you know a lot of people send their resumes and I get a lot of women who want to move from mainstream financial services into the work I do, sort of responsible investment, sustainable finance. And I'm really conscious I always take time to respond to those women and have a conversation, have a coffee, because I know how important it is and how vulnerable you feel at that point. You use that experience to help other people. I fully agree. I mean, I think I actively practice that every day, particularly with women. Actually, it was really nice this week. So in my new role, I discovered I had like 17 interns that I wasn't even aware were part of the team. And they're all girls. So I sat down and I asked everybody to introduce themselves and listen to their stories and also asked them to tell us how badly we had done so far in the internship program. And they were so brave and giving me like really tough feedback, which I loved. This was the day before yesterday. And then yesterday I discovered one of them resigned. And I'm like, what did I do? Did I say something? What happened? So I sent her an email just saying, you know, you, I'm sorry you left. I'm sorry the experience wasn't what you wanted. And I thought you were an extremely bright young woman. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you're going to be great wherever you go. To your point about mm-hmm. taking a minute to write that line. Yeah. And in this case, you think you're helping someone else. But in fact, she helped me because I was having a lot of self-doubt. I was okay. saying like, oh, did I say something? Did mm-hmm. she leave because I was too strong, too aggressive, too something, whatever? And her reply was actually, I've always wanted to be a reporter. And when I saw you and how passionate you were, I was inspired and mm-hmm. I left to go get a reporting job. Well, do you know, I was going to say to you, I bet it wasn't what you thought it was. Something that holds a lot of women back is that we take things very personally And we assume that we're at fault. And sometimes that means that we waste emotional energy worrying. And we should actually just be moving on. At the same time, the flip side of that means that we are highly empathetic. We can demonstrate that care. But I think we have to sort of keep that in check. We have to stop overanalyzing when it's not necessary. How do you keep yourself in check? I practice this every day, but it's really hard work. It's taken me a while to get to the point where I really value the very simple things in my life because you know we are brought up to want to achieve we end up sort of chasing an external validation and actually the sooner we realize it's an internal validation that we need and so now I do definitely and don't get me wrong I don't feel like this all the time but I try to (laughs) you know you keep those simple things in mind like what really matters well my relationships my, my friendships the contribution I have to people day to day, not the money I make or the title I have or any of that. I think when you get to that point, it's very, it's very grounding. Mm, I was just thinking about that word, actually. Yeah, yeah. it is very grounding. But as I said, don't get me wrong, I don't. Hey, we all have our own imposter moments. That's okay. Well, we do, don't we? I've, I've had this week, I've had this whole, oh, I'm such a fraud. I don't know what I'm talking about. I say this, I've just been like speaking at multiple conferences and I was like, Jess, please put it in perspective. Jessica traveled a lot, worked long hours, but she didn't feel like she was producing the change fast enough. So she decided to quit her job, move to Dubai, and take matters into her own hands. She decided to start her own company, Moxie Future. She tells us more about it. I also felt very strongly that I'd been working for large organizations and with large organizations for many years. And I was getting to the point where I still don't feel that things are changing rapidly enough. I still think we sit in a room largely with men talking at each other, not listening to each other and not coming up with solutions. And so I decided I'd had enough of that, certainly for the time being. 
that's why I went and thought, right, I'm going to set up Moxie Future and I'm going to focus on something that I think nobody else is looking at, the role that women play as financial decision makers, as investors. The financial markets just fundamentally aren't talking to women. You know, the financial markets are defined by men, they're set up by men, they're regulated by men. And I really wanted to start plugging that gap. I also felt that a lot of women, they're clearly motivated to think about impacts of their decisions beyond financial returns. And so I wanted to build on that and do a lot of research, bring in more data and really sort of promote that issue. I came to Dubai two months ago and I joined MR, mm -hmm. the real estate mm -hmm. company. And long story short, I started by being assigned to the chairman's office. And within a few weeks, they asked me to be the interim CMO for properties. That's right. what I'm doing right now. And I'm supposed to pitch my marketing plan to them soon. And I've been looking at this topic. Mm -hmm. I've been saying, well, here's something meaningful that we can do. We keep having these dudes who sell buildings to other dudes. Women don't invest in the same way. They don't think no, in the same way. Don't. And I was like, wait, even if women are just 10% of a growing market, if I can capture 80% of that 10%, I've won. It's absolutely huge because if you look at the numbers, women now own around a third of the world's wealth. And obviously that's going in one direction, right? We're going to have women earning more money. The, the pay parity gap is hopefully going to decrease. And women live longer. Their financial needs and their financial profiles are different from men. But in the market, you have lots of financial advisors and 99% of them are men. And they're selling products defined by men. This whole opportunity is massive, really, to engage with women. I mean, I love the term financial feminism because it's how can we enable women to use money, to build money, to build value, to support themselves and their financial equality, and then actually push our financial markets to say, but we've got to think about sustainability, we've got to think about social needs, and what's the purpose of capital? So to me, this concept of financial feminism is not just around women investing more, it's women investing in the sort of sustainable, clean, green future that I think most women actually really really want yes. helping shift the way that we yeah. think about yeah. what value creation yeah. means. and I do think not that I want to go on about financial markets but 2008 we saw the financial crash it's um Christine Lagarde who said if it was Lehman sisters we wouldn't be in the trouble we're so in true, now by the way. I spent most of my career trying to fit within a system But actually, the rules of that system are not fit for purpose for 2018 and beyond. So what I want to do with Moxie Future is challenge that system. I was never interested in finance as a young woman, like growing up. I think the first time I understood how the stock market worked, I'm like, you guys are essentially gambling. That was my thought. And I'm like, I'm not interested in this. And the decision making is very testosterone driven. Yeah. Well, no, we've done quite a lot of research. And when you look at the way men make investment decisions, they tend to do it on an individual basis. They enjoy the rush of the decision and the risk. Women like to confer with each other. They like to have peer-to-peer -peer discussions. They want to learn from each other's experience, which again tells you how women are social yeah, beings exactly. in that way. I think this is the first time that you've done something that was particularly around women. So what drove you to make that cut? You know, I have a teacher. He says the root of the word decision with the word cis, mm -hmm. like scissors, is that you cut something out. So mm -hmm. every time you make a decision, mm -hmm. it is not that you are choosing something, is that you're cutting the rest out. And I love that image because it makes the act of making a decision so clear in my yeah. mind. What made you make that decision? To focus on women specifically, I was starting to see and feel this strength sort of gathering And I was thinking, I want to be part of that, making that happen. What can I use with my skill sets and my experience to really help bring women together in a way that no one else is doing? And, and that's really what, what it was about. Now, I don't know what the future decisions will be. I'm not sure. But for right now, this is where I think I need to be. Where does the word moxie come from? 
So moxie is an American slang. It means courage, determination, verve, the ability to face a difficult situation with courage. And so I just felt that was really reflective of the spirit of well, both me and the organization. Today, Moxie Future has staff working with Jessica from all over the world. She has used the connection she made along her career to help push Moxie Future forward, no pun intended. Her goal now is to make women feel involved in their own economic decisions, as well as the economy as a whole, and creating a network for women where they feel empowered and where they feel they have purpose. But Jessica still feels like we have a long way to go in terms of women's rights and equality. We had a really interesting conversation about this, which started with Jessica asking me this question. I'll ask you one question. Why did you get married? My husband really wanted us to get married. Did you want to? I mean, I did not want to. Uh, my parents got divorced, so I don't believe in marriage as an institution yeah. as a consequence. I don't think it actually changed anything, except that it made him really happy. I always joke that my husband is a 12-year-old girl, uh, <laughs> which I shouldn't because I'm stereotyping girls. But he's so romantic, and he's always wanted the speeches and the dress and the whatever. Yeah. And it meant so much to him. But he knows how I feel about this and what I thought. And in fact, actually, when you were talking earlier, about your Beijing yeah. period I was just thinking like over the summer I didn't have a job and again I've always defined myself by what I contribute to the world so instead of the role of motherhood the role of planning the wedding became my responsibility and I just wanted to murder everybody <laughs> including my husband and I remember the scene once where I was really upset that day because he really hadn't contributed to I don't remember what decision he was just saying but honey what you're doing is really important for us and I said you know what I trade this with your job any day of the week like you You go plan the wedding, I'll go work, no problem. But to me, it's also that when you choose a partner, you do make compromises yeah. on a lot of things. And if having a party with all his friends was going to make him happy, and it made me happy too in the end, right? Like it was just such a beautiful moment of sharing love with everybody as a community. I grapple this, you know, I'm divorced and I'm raising three children on my own and I'm fiercely independent on this. I kind of wish someone had explained to me, this is what I was saying, you know, being brought up as an independent woman but not being given the resources and the kind of support to, to enact that. And I wish somebody had said to me, you don't have to have a partner. Mm. You, you can do things on your own. And we're all socialized in this. We're women, we're sort of squished and squashed into this sort of concept that to be successful, we need to have a partner. And I get this all the time. So I've been on my own for a long time. I get people saying to me, you'll find someone. <laughs> I've set up my life oh my to be this way. Wow. Look at me. I'm working. I'm raising three amazing children. I live overseas. What, what bit do I need? You know, I was raised by a single mom. She had two jobs. She didn't let me sleep over at my friend's house because the only time she saw me during the week was when I was sleeping. That's why I am the way I am. Mm. I'm courageous and independent and I don't feel like I need anyone. Obviously, I have a, you know fear of abandonment like many people, but I can say it out loud. But that raised me to be just a really strong woman. We actually interviewed her for the show. She, she's a software engineer, has had a really amazing career and is a really strong woman. I call her the phoenix because I've seen her go through so much hardship and just get up the next day and be like, we're getting on with it. Yeah, I mean, I work the way I work and I work long hours and I work hard. I do it. A large part of it is to be a strong role model to my children and to say, you define what you think is important, you find out what your passion's about and you commit to it and you do it, but just work hard. And that's, and that's the way I've always looked at. And there are moments when I miss 
parents' evenings and I've had to be on a trip and I've missed a birthday or something. And you, you have this horrible guilt. But at the same time, I know that what I'm teaching them every day is how committed I am to something I believe in. You know, that sort of thing that I say to them, you've got to leave the world in a better place than when you found it. And, and that's, this is how I'm doing it. And this is what it means to me. And be proud of me. And I know they are. I know. Yeah. Do you get feedback from them? Because now they're old enough to give you feedback. Yeah, all the time. So I know how they communicate to their friends about what I do. And yeah, and I think values are really, really important. You know, I think that having the values that what you believe in and then translating that into every aspect of your life it's it's hard living in Dubai at times. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. It's hard because there's two aspects. There's obviously being a single mother there aren't many of us if you know what I mean and then also I find the environmental impact of where we live really challenging I just see we go to the supermarket and nobody brings their own shopping bags you know it's like I, I can't believe that we can be in a world where you can be so unaware of your impact and the consumption here everybody calls me the hippie always walking with my tote bags actually when I get coffee from the cafe in the office mm. uh, I bring back my dirty cup for them to put more coffee in it yeah. that's why I wanted to ask you about this because I had a lot of issues with Dubai before coming here mm. part of it has grown on me and I've gotten over it and I actually think this place is inspirational in many ways but part of me is still like we're in a caste system Mm -hmm. it's incredibly mm -hmm. destructive there are some people that treat people like slaves absolutely mm -hmm. and I see it every day yeah. and I was wondering how you felt working on this kind of project in this kind of place it doesn't sit comfortably with me at all and I don't think it's a long-term home it does for us right now and so for me it's an experience that we'll have and will you know add to the sort of collection of experiences but it's not it's not home mm -hmm. for life And so I'm going to ask you a question which I ask everybody at the end of the show, which is, what is a feminist and are you a feminist? Okay, so yes, I, I am absolutely a feminist. And to me, I do, I do believe that a feminist is, is someone who just believes in equality. And, and I think that can sit across anything, actually. And, and so yes, men can be feminists, women can be feminists. We've got so much work to do you know, in terms of providing the support and the opportunity and the empowerment for women to have that confidence and to feel that we all have an equal place at the table. So there you have it. My conversation with Jessica Robinson from Moxie Future. It's always refreshing to talk to women who are spearheading initiatives to help empower other women, especially when they're striving to give other women more agency. I really hoped you enjoyed listening to Jessica as much as I enjoyed talking to her. It did feel at the end there that she was interviewing me rather than me interviewing her. Stay tuned for our next episode or go and binge listen to it. In the meantime, this was Who Run the World, hosted by yours truly, Marilyn Zakauer, and produced by Rhea Shadid of Raisin Media. Please subscribe to Who Run the World on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to find out more about what we're up to, head over to our website, whorontheworldpodcast.com, or our Facebook page, Who Run the World Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Permanent Hunger. You can follow Rhea at Raisin. Listen. It's not, it's not that I'm sad that you don't follow me or that I'm bitter. <laughs> it's not that, like, I want you to follow me back. It's not that. It's you just, keep talking about no, it. No, it's just that, like, you used to follow me and then you unfollowed But me. But Instagram... And I, think, I think there's violence in that. Rayo, I like, keep telling you, Instagram like isn't Facebook. You digress. 
I do not. You can talk about this another, but I'm just saying, <laughs> you used to follow me, and then you unfollowed me. You know why I unfollowed you, right? Because if you want to unfollow me in life, you can. But like, no, I, I can't. You're my producer. That's why you can't unfollow me because I'm your producer and we're doing this podcast in life. Now because I mean, in friends. life. God, you're so sensitive. Also, Raisin, um, I want to tell you this: that Instagram is not Facebook. I know we're friends. But I don't follow my friends on Instagram. And if you want to get upset, that's fine. But Instagram is for visual content creators. Not upset, nor bitter, nor angry. You just sound all three. Just Let's ask our audience. Do you sound bitter, upset, or angry? Take a poll. <laughs> yes, let's put and up a poll on the website. <laughs>